I literally walked out of a session because I was so discontent, so sick of being stuck where I was. And I walked out and I'm looking up at these gorgeous mountains wondering, when will I ever be able to get out of this? I then walked into a ballroom and on the screen on the stage was an image of the one thing. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Gary Keller. Things don't matter equally. Success is found in doing what matters most. My guest today, Jeff Woods, knows both Gary and the meaning of this quote better than most. He's the president of The One Thing, where he works alongside billionaire Gary Keller and his New York Times bestselling co-author, Jay Papazon, teaching people how to live a life of focus so they can have more and do less. Jeff is also the host of The One Thing podcast, where he chats with top performers on how to prioritize what matters most. Jeff, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on the Elevate podcast. My pleasure, Robert. Thanks for having me. So you, you know, you've become a highly successful entrepreneur, but you weren't always on that path. Tell me a little bit about your journey and sort of what got you into uh, or ignited your entrepreneurial passion. For as long as I've been in the professional world, I always had a dream of one day owning a business that made a real impact in the world and could deliver security for my family. I started following the traditional route though, work hard in school, get out of school, get a good job, work your way up the ladder. And I found myself in medical device sales, which is, I mean, that's a phenomenal job. I woke up every day running through hospitals, selling a device that actually saved lives, trying to get my wife to call me McDreamy because I wore scrubs every day and she says no. But in the back of my mind, Robert, it kept eating away at me. When are you going to make the leap? When are you going to actually become an entrepreneur? When are you going to start a business? Problem was, I had responsibilities. My wife and I had a house in Orange County. We had our first child. I'm making a, a good living. I didn't have a compelling reason to make a change. Two things happened. A colleague of mine had a stroke at the age of 35. I remember standing in my kitchen wondering if what happened to my colleague had happened to me, what would happen to my family? That was very unsettling. And the next week, my company made a change to my commission structure and overnight, I lost 40% of my income. I told myself the story, it'll be okay. But month after month after month, we were hemorrhaging cash because I made a mistake a lot of people make, which is building a lifestyle to match a level of income. You were personally hemorrhaging cash, not the oh, business. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Me personally, because as I started to make more money, yeah. I let our lifestyle increase. And then I started to make more money, and then I let our lifestyle increase. And all of a sudden, money drops by 40%. Lifestyle did not right. drop by 40% overnight. Because sales commissions are, are, are variable. A lot of expenses in life are, are not once you add them, right? There you go. And it turns out babies get more expensive as they grow up, which I learned. That's when it was at the point when we're literally almost out of cash. Emergency account almost at zero. Then I'm going, okay, we've got to make a change. And I heard the Jim Rohn quote, you're the average of the five people you spend most time with. I actually took out a pen and a piece of paper and wrote down who my five were and wrote the name of five amazing friends. And did, were they all people that live beyond their means? Probably. Probably. We didn't talk about it, but the truth is knowing what I know about wealth building now, yeah, they're, they're not taking the right actions. Yeah. 
And all I realized was I had five amazing friends, but I had zero amazing mentors. I had no one in my life who was in a, who was a business owner who could help me navigate the path. And without knowing of the one thing that became my one thing, which was to surround myself with mentors. And what, just going back a spec, what was it? Cause you were successful in sales. You were doing yeah. well, you know, before the, the commission cut, what was the burning entrepreneurial? Like, where did that come from? It's just always something in the back of your head. You ever had a moment in your life, Robert, where you just, even though things were good, you knew you were meant for more. Yeah. That was it. Got it. But the more for you was running and owning something. It was, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah. I just, I knew I wasn't even coming close to scratching my potential. And I remember sales meeting after sales meeting after sales meeting. They always bring in the big keynote speaker and me sitting in the audience going, gosh, I would love to be able to do that one day. Yeah. But because I couldn't see the path how to, I thought that it meant it wasn't an option. Long story short, you fast forward. Uh, it's our national sales meeting again. I walk into the big ballroom just after we were in Tahoe. I literally walked out of a session because I was so discontent, so sick of being stuck where I was. And I walked out and I'm looking up at these gorgeous mountains wondering, when will I ever be able to get out of this? I then walked into a ballroom and on the screen on the stage was an image of the one thing. And then Jay Papasan, who co-authored it with Gary Keller, walked out on stage. What year is my this? Mind. This is 2015. And when did the book come out? 2013. 2013, okay. Yeah, yeah. So he's speaking and the whole time I'm going, holy crap. He was a speaker at the conference you were at. He was the keynote. And I'm wondering, how do I get a guy like Jay or Gary to be one of my five? Yeah. And so when he came off stage, I basically tackled him. Yeah, I was going to say you stalked him. Yeah. No, you better. <laughs> First one. And it began a relationship. What I was unaware of was that the one thing had already become one of the highest rated business books of all time. But Gary's one thing is running Keller Williams. Jay's one thing is writing books with Gary. They had been looking for somebody whose one thing was the one thing. And that became my opportunity. One thing squared. There you go. All right. So for those who don't know about the one thing, like what can take us back to you sure. walking in that room? What did you see that was such epiphany for you that made you realize that? Because that'd be a good way of looking at it through your eyes in terms sure. of how you understood it. The one thing is the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. It's really about time. It's our most valuable resource. The problem is most people spend it. They don't invest it. Every person listening to this knows what it feels like to have too much to do and not enough time. And we all know what it feels like to be really busy, but actually question at the end of the day if we got anything done. And the reason it's a problem is because you work long, you work hard, but you end up cheating yourself out of what it means to live a life. And all that this showed me when I, when I heard it and what I've lived for the last six years is that there is a different way. You can wake up and actually invest your time by having clarity on what matters most, invest in those areas, hold those activities accountable to delivering a return, and you can work fewer hours, get more done, and thrive personally and professionally. So spending versus investing, what's the difference? Well, let me ask you a question. <laughs> When's the, what's the most recent thing you spent money on? I know. Yeah, I know in investing. Yeah, right. yeah. You spend money, you spend it, it's gone. You don't expect it to come back. But when right. we invest our dollars, we expect an ROI. But people, even though they know time is more valuable than money, they don't hold their time to the same standard they hold their dollars to. You even hear in the way they, they talk, I got five minutes to kill. Yeah. Well, I always say I, I wrote one of the most popular articles I've ever written year after year was 
you know, the BS of busy. And it was just this, you know, how this is to become this crutch to everyone. Well, how are you, Jeff? Oh, I'm busy. Like, that's not an answer. <laughs> a terrible answer. Yeah. So it's like, what's new? And they say nothing. <laughs> yeah. Or how are you? I mean, just even reflexively, like, I'm good. How are you? Not like, I mean, I'm busy is just such a, it's become such a crutch, but look, I, I, somehow that became the the vanity metric, right? I think there's also a lot of busy, unhappy people. So that's sort of the why of the one thing. What is the application? Like, what was the big takeaway from the book that people weren't doing or that someone like you could say, all right, how do I execute this? I mean, at the most basic sense, yeah, you live the one thing when first and foremost, you identify what your one thing is. Okay. You time block it, meaning you put it on your calendar and you protect that time block. That is the, that is the, what is the most important thing to you, right? Are you clear on what matters most? Yeah. Is it on your calendar? And when you show up for that appointment, do you protect that time? Here's what's shocking. Most people don't actually know what their priorities are. Or if they do, they feel guilty for not doing them. And even if they do happen to have clarity on their priorities, if you look at their calendar, it reflects everyone else's priorities, not theirs. I don't, I don't know who said the quote. I just heard it a lot, but show me your calendar and I'll tell you your priorities. I always like that. So get this. When when Gary was interviewing Jay yeah. 15, 20 years ago, um, he asked Jay to show him his calendar. And Jay's a writer, so he had a paper calendar. And Gary just started flipping through the pages. And what Jay didn't realize was Gary was trying to see if he had white space if he had clarity on what mattered or if he was like everybody else who their calendar is just like a game of Tetris trying to squeeze as many blocks in as possible. Jay being an introverted writer, luckily didn't have much on his calendar, which passed the test for Gary. Here's a guy who knows what matters and actually has it prioritized on his, on his calendar. Yeah. And there's this concept. I think I told you this, that I, I read the one thing over holiday break, right before I setting my probably four years ago, my goals for the year. And it made me really rethink them in terms of I'd always have these 10 or 20 different things. And as you know, when you have 10, you get nothing done, but really getting to the, what are the, you know, maybe not one, but or one per category. What's the, right. what's the one thing in family? What's the one thing in personal? What's the one thing in professional? And then determining which things were tactics as part of that, right? A lot of the goals were, were, and, and I used, you've heard the domino analogy. I, I think, you know, maybe you can explain that to, to someone where if you get enough of these things done, then the big domino falls. And, and rather to see those as, this was the really the sea change for me in terms of goal setting, not to see those as objectives, but those as tools. So the objective Correct. is, I don't know, to be a New York Times bestselling author or something like that. Well, to have that happen, I'm going to need to find a way to sell 10,000 books to get these level endorsements to get on a hundred podcasts. Those are not actually goals or end means until themselves. They're all little dominoes to try to knock over the big domino. And when I realign my goals around that, it was just game-changing in terms of thinking of it that way. And that's a huge gap is people might have clarity on what goal they're striving for, but they don't know how to turn that goal into an activity that they can take this week. And yep. our fundamental belief is the purpose of a goal is not actually the result. It's to be appropriate in the moment, meaning yeah. it should be a compass to inform how do you need to behave this week so that you're in alignment with your goals. But most people don't know how to break that down. 
which should be alignment in your values. So perfect example, I always say like, I have an, a core value of health and vitality. And I, each year I tend to pick a goal that is some sort of physical thing that I have not done before or something that unfortunately you have to sign up for, which has been really hard in the last 18 months. And I've actually struggled by not having that deposit paid for in the thing, but it's actually not about the race in six months. It's then about the prep required to get to that point is requires me to stay healthy and do the work. So it's all, it's really the alignment. And I think so many people's goals are not aligned. And the other thing is really, if you take the one thing even higher, it should be, what's the one thing you want in five years? Because that determines what you should be doing for your one-year goals. And it should be doing what your quarterly goals. And those are the little dominoes that if you do that all boom, the big domino falls. But as you said, and I think the inclination of everyone is if you have small, insignificant things that can be checked off and large monolithic (laughs) objective that you want to go after, it's just so easy to keep like knocking over the little ones than to start chiseling away at the big one. I remember I was in Jay's office one day and he looked at me and he goes, Jeff, do you know how billionaires set goals? And I looked at him and said, no, but I grabbed a pen and paper and sat down as fast as possible, ready to take notes. And he said, you know, if I asked you to imagine how you got here today at this point in your life, you'd think back to when we got into business together. And before that, you'd think about medical sales. And before that, you'd think about college. And before that, you'd think about where you grew up. When you imagine your your life looking backwards, you imagine a straight line. But most people don't do that when they look forward. They see all the things that they could do. And just like if you and I boarded a plane here in Denver, Colorado, and if we wanted to fly to, where do we want to go? Uh, We want to go to Boston. Boston. Yeah, that's right. If we take off and the plane is immediately blown off course, 10 degrees, and it does not correct, what are the odds we land in Boston? Oh, you're probably in in the opposite of Boston. Zero. Zero, right? But this is what happens. People look forward when they set their goals and they see all the things they could do this year. And over a short period of time, like a year, a distraction can actually look like a priority. But if you extrapolate it out over five years, 10 years, 20 years, you arrive at a massively different destination. And the thing that we learned from our partner, Gary, is you goal set to the now. You fast forward someday, 10, 20 years, and imagine what success looks like. And then you look backwards on your life and ask, well, where do I have to be in five years to be on track for the someday? And based on that, what do I need to focus on this year to be on track for the five? All of a sudden, instead of seeing all the shiny things you could say yes to this year, you see, I've got to focus on these things, which then allows you to go, great. What do I have to do this month? Yeah. And based on that, what do I have to do this week? Based on that, what does my calendar have to look like? I mean, the calendar is, is key. I, so many leadership coaches and stuff. And I even had the discussion with my daughter said, I have no time to do X. I was like, I, I, that is not, I can look at your calendar. I know, look, you're very, you work hard. You're doing this stuff diligently, but I can also tell you the six other hours you spent on social media, right. You know, yesterday Correct. when you weren't doing it or getting distracted. Cause if we said to a lot of people, Hey, is your priority mm-hmm. obsessing over other people's lunch and doing what they're doing with their life? Is that one of the top 10 things that you need to do in your life? They'd say, well, of course not. I'd say, well, if I actually looked at you, what you're doing, I mean, you're spending two hours a day doing that. Like literally more time than you've allocated with your family. I mean, how many people do you know? I'm sure who say that their family is one of their top priorities, but their calendar does not reflect that at all. You follow them around with a camera and you see how often they're spending their time and how rarely they're investing it. 
Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So for an average person, because I think probably struggling with this, what what does investing your time look like versus spending it? Can you give some practical examples? Our definition of a job description is the two to three things you have to do exceptionally well or you're fired. It's not everything that you got to do. It's based on our goals. What do our goals require your role? The two to three things that your role has to do exceptionally well. Otherwise, you don't earn the right to continue occupying that role. My three, vision, growth, ambassador. Cast a vision for the organization, drive revenue, get behind mics and on stages to promote awareness of the one thing. Those are my top three things. I invest my time when I have time to think. I invest my time when I sit down studying other companies to benchmark and trend what the future looks like. That is an investment that delivers a return. I invest my time when I have lead generation calls or doing proposals or closing business. It has an ROI. I invest my time having this conversation. It is a 20% activity that drives 80% of our results. And what is when you're spending your time in the work context, what does that look like then comparatively? It's less and less because I, if I showed you my calendar, 80 plus percent of it is filled with 20% activities. Yeah. 80% of my week is doing the most important stuff at this point because the business has scaled. But perfect example, if I have to review somebody's work, Got it. that is an 80 percenter. If I have to get into my email inbox, that's an 80 percenter. Sitting on a random meeting, 80 percenter. That's all 80% stuff that only drive. It's 80% of the total stuff, but it only drives a fraction 
of the value. So uh, you look at invest versus spend as sort of on that 80-20 parameter uh, in terms of like, is it likely to have a high return or a low return? I think that's easier to understand versus having a dinner versus buying an asset. Okay, got it. Correct. So is is it likely to have an outsized return? Correct. So if you use dollars, let's say you have a thousand bucks to invest, you only have a thousand bucks to invest and you want to buy a stock and you want to buy one stock, you're going to pick the one stock that you hope will give you the highest ROI, or you're going to put it in one index fund tied to the S&P that you hope will give you the best return over the long run. You're not going to sit there and go, ooh, let me choose the one that's going to give me the lowest return. Yeah. Same thing with our time. So why is it that we gravitate towards these lower value activities constantly. And then why do we lie to ourselves about it when we recount our (laughs) day? I think one, it comes down to lack of clarity. Got it. How many kids do you have? Three. Three. If you got a call right now that one of your kids was in the hospital, would you and I still be having this conversation right now? No. Why? Because it's a higher level of importance. It would be so clear in that moment what mattered that saying no to the other stuff would be almost effortless. People don't have that level of clarity when it comes to their priorities. So what happens is because they lack clarity on what they should be saying yes to, they struggle to say no. So they default to saying yes to whatever is at the top of their- Because they can't rank it. So it just becomes last in, first out accounting. So they react to whatever's at the top of their inbox, whatever meeting is next on their calendar or the person asking, hey, do you got a minute? Yeah. So two comments on that. One of the things that a mentor who does these calendar audits and a coach years ago got me very focused on was this concept of time blocking in a calendar, right? Which is people can't just schedule stuff on my calendar. It's pre-blocked out. Here's my quiet thinking delivery time. Because look, if I let everyone have the meetings all day, how do I deliver a presentation, a story, an article, a feedback or something? You actually have to have time to you know, produce. So I... I Probably not as, I mean, I schedule an exercise. I put in my kids' games, you know, so you feel it's like the sand and rock thing. You know, here here are the things that are important to me. And ideally, right, that fills it. And then the other stuff falls in between and or you can't have this time. When my week gets to a certain level, like a day gets to 60%, you can't, there's a free time component that is not available. So it's got to go the next week, unless it's such an urgent priority that it meets you know, one of those levels. So I, and I, that is the exact opposite of how yeah. most people live. Right. They sometime between the end of the week and the beginning of the next week, open up their inbox. And when they see a request for their time, they go the, to their digital calendar. And if there is a white space, they say yes, without any context of what's the opportunity cost. Or, or worse, what do most of them do these days that automates that process? They just give you a scheduler link. Yeah, I will. I refuse to use one of those. Like, because until it has AI, it couldn't possibly understand how I want my calendar to look. So we actually, <laughs> my assistant uses a schedule link for me, but we created a model zones. for my time. You have zones. Yep, yeah, we have yeah, zones. Yeah. So I know I can do one podcast interview a week. Right. Right. We're not going to do two. I will say yes to one a week. We know. Wednesday afternoons is when I'm willing to meet with people for talent. So if they see it, they're, they're only going to see Wednesday afternoons because that's the time that I have blocked. They don't get to see all the other time. All right. So the person who's listening to this being like, I get it. My priority is a mess. I'm running around with chicken head out, not clear. Like, how do you start 
at first principles. How do I figure out my priorities? Sure. There's the answer for the individual and there's the answer for the leader, right? We started as an online training company for individuals, but what we ultimately realized is we can't actually help people live the one thing at the highest level if we don't solve the organizational challenge. Our one thing today is actually helping companies live this. Because if a company embraces this, if your work environment embraces this way of thinking, you living it becomes a lot easier. Whether you're the individual or whether you're a leader of a team or an organization, it starts by acknowledging that everything that is on your plate is not of equal importance. And just like when we were kids and we lined up dominoes, we understood you didn't stand one up over here and one up over there and one up way over there and knock them down individually. You stand them up, you line them up, you whack away at the first one first. You have to ask the question, what is the goal? Fast forward to the end of the year, how will I know if I'm successful? Or how will we as a team know if we are successful? And based on that, what are the things that we have to do? The major 20% priorities that'll drive 80% of the results. And they're not of equal importance. So if you could only do one, which is it? And should you earn the right to do a second, which is it? And should you earn the right to do a third, which is it? Guess what? You have enough time to do more than one thing. So just let's set that aside. Then you actually have to look at your calendar and ask, okay, what do I need to do this week as it pertains to priority number one? And block the time off. This is where the rubber's really going to meet the road is you're going to look for the white space. And some of you listening to this don't have any white space. This is where you have to look at your calendar and ask the question, does this appointment today at 11 a.m. matter more than this priority? If the answer is no, you need to consider canceling it or pushing back, asking them to reschedule. You've got to start taking some of your time back for you to invest it. And it's really back to the domino analogy. It is a difference between a prism and a laser, right? If you take that amount of of light and you refract it in a million directions versus you focus it, it can carve through a wall versus it's harmless. So the stat on the dominoes to what you were saying. So this is, I love this. It's amazing. So if you took a domino and each domino after it was 50% bigger and it can knock over that weight, right? It would only take 29 dominoes to knock down the Empire State Building, (laughs) is just to show the, the power of that in terms of, again, building towards the end goal. And But if you knocked all those dominoes down in different chains, it, then it, that wouldn't happen. So there's a cool story about this. Back in 2009, there was a group out of the Netherlands that broke the world record for dominoes. They lined up 4.5 million. I want you who's listening to this to raise your hand. million dominoes. Yep, lift, lift your hand up. And on the count of three, you're going to imagine you're the leader and you're going to knock the first one down. One, two, three. Robert, how much effort did that take? Not very much. What you just did, while that was a small action, you just unleashed a massive reaction. You unleashed 94,000 joules of energy. That's as much energy as it would drop you to do and fi- do 545 consecutive push-ups. That's how much energy just got unleashed with the flick of your finger. 1983, Lauren White had discovered that a two-inch domino could actually knock down one 50% larger. So two knocks over three, three knocks over four and a half. By the 18th domino, Leaning Tower of Pisa. 23rd domino, Eiffel Tower. You said 29th, Empire State Building. 31st, we're 3,000 feet above Mount Everest. And by the 57th domino, that's two boxes of dominoes lined up. You could reach from the earth to the moon. And if you graph that out, it's that hockey stick growth where it's flat, 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 boom, 
right. hockey stick growth. That's the shape of success. And that's what it looks like in our lives. And this makes me think that, again, for a lot of people, it's actually not the big things. They're, it's the leaks, right? It's the, I added up your 12 minute of constant checking on Facebook and it was two and a half hours in a day, right? And, and there's no concept that together all of those little leaks equal big blocks of time. Because people always say, I don't have time to write a book. And, and if they want to write, I'm like, I guarantee you, if you could write 400 words a day, and if I looked at your calendar, I'd find those leaks. And yeah. if that 30 minutes was redirected for 90 days in a row, rather than having all this information on what people ate for lunch, if that's really important to you, you would have 75 pages of your first book. Correct. The reason this is a problem is the majority of people go through their lives spending their time bouncing from Facebook to email, to meeting, to text, to got a minute, back to meeting, back to email, to working on a project and getting interrupted. They work long hours, they are busy and they sacrifice their personal life versus the alternative. Be the type of person who has a big goal. I wanna write a book. Think big, but they start by going small and trust that if every day they invested 30 minutes. Use the leak to your advantage, right? Yep. Think big, go small, trust the dominoes will fall. If every day you just prioritized that one thing and just knocked it down day after day after day over time, you unleash that hockey stick growth in any area of your life. And this, this addresses the biggest fallacy, which is that these high performers have more time than we do, more whatever than we do. I just think they have more discipline in the constant redirection of that energy day after day after day. So you don't see it. It might not be noticeable from Monday to Friday, but maybe from the 1st to the 30th, but definitely after three months, now your 10 degrees is going to be really in totally different directions. Yeah. It's um, when people say, I don't have enough time or these people have more time. Last time I checked, you have 24 hours in a day. Shocker, I do too. We have the same amount of time. We don't prioritize it the same. Or just not honest about how we're spending it, it. Correct. We'd have to look in the mirror and be honest. Like I have to be honest. Like I get caught into switching tabs and stuff. And if someone added up that to me at the end of the day, and be like, you know, you spend like 45 minutes a day flapping through browser. I'd be like, wow, really? Like I haven't journaled in three weeks. Like, and I keep telling myself I don't have time. <laughs> Here's where it gets worse. The second live productivity is the live multitasking. When you multitask, the cost from switching from one thing to the next thing, so clicking from tab to tab or going yeah. from email to text to, yes, I've got a minute, back to email, you waste 28% of your time, which to put that into context, if you work a normal 40-hour work week, it means you can get your 40 hours of productivity done in 3.6 workdays. So essentially, you could work three and a half days and yeah. get the same amount of work done if you just focused on one thing at a time versus everything on the, at the same time. It's huge. See this on an airplane sometimes. You don't have Wi-Fi, four hours. Heck you're like, yeah, you you're like, knock wow, stuff I just got out. three weeks of work done without anyone yeah. distracting me. I hadn't had one of those flights in like two years. And I was on it like a month ago, five-hour flight. And I was like, what am I going to do for the rest of the week? Like, I was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I had a flight a few weeks ago and I, it was a three-hour flight and I just crushed stuff. Well, I, it's funny. So I have this thing now, like GSD, uh, get shit done time on my calendar. That's the like, you can't have it. It's mine. I used to call it airplane time. And, I, and I've had this fight with people who need to move a meeting or can't do something or they say something came up. I'm like, look, no one ever bothered me when I was in an airplane. No one ever asked me to move something was on an airplane. There's something sacred about that time. So it's not 
there's something that you're looking at that you're looking at it the wrong way because like, I, I don't know, no one ever asked me to get off a plane, you know, to, to attend a meeting. You mean you've never in the middle of a flight been working on something and heard over the, the intercom. Right. Attention, passenger Robert Glazer, if you'd please come to the front of the airplane, there's a phone call for you. Your team needs you. Yeah, that's never happened. And, or we got to land the plane. Or no. interestingly, again, when people are asking for my time saying, I need you to cancel that flight, you know, because whatever we need you for there is is more important. So I, I actually wrote it like that for years in my calendar, airplane time, which is just like, treat this like I'm on an airplane. Um, okay. And I, I just had this debate with a forum that I was in around this around Again, why we just have to look at the meetings like this, like because otherwise, you know, the whole problem of uh, forum is an amazing construct, but it's a slippery slope because forums are usually executive and people are busy. That as soon as one person lowers the standard of I need to leave five minutes early, I need to come late, or I need to take this call, then everyone else is like, well, then why am I sacrificing these things? And, and and I brought it up with that group on like we're just all on an airplane for three hours, and like unless your kid's sick or something, you know, you're selling your company that, you know, five minutes, like nothing's ever really that important as we make it out to be. That's right. And and here's the crazy thing. We manufacture the story that we cannot say no. Or, oh, my boss asked to meet at that time. I have a rule. If somebody's requesting your time when you've already blocked it for something that matters to you, personal or professional, push back once. Just push back once. Hey, I've got a conflict at that time. Can we do later that afternoon? 99.99999% of the time, people say yes. There are occasions where your boss might say, actually, the meeting has to happen at this time and I really need you there. What else do you have going on? But that almost never happens. Well, also people are afraid to, I mean, I did write a Friday forward on this a few weeks ago too, on how to say no to sort of power. And if you're my boss and you say, Bob, can you meet me in uh, four o'clock today to five? And I say, Jeff, I'm happy to meet you, but you know, I'm finishing that sales proposal that you asked me to do for that multi-million dollar client. So is this more important than that? Then you might say, oh no, it's not. So I, yeah. we failed to explain to the other person why it might be bad for them, which is also a, a great tactic in, in doing that. So let me give you some scripts. Any single one of you can start using this to power. If somebody above you in your organization asks you, hey, I need your help on this. You can say, I'd love to help. Right now, I'm focusing on blank. What would you like me to not do? (laughs) Would you like me to stop doing that to start focusing on this? Watch how many times they actually say no. And here's the real power move. For all of you who are leaders, you cast a shadow. The unfortunate thing is we unconsciously cast a shadow of chaos. It's like our team is that glassy body of water and we walk in and just start slinging rocks into it. And there's this huge ripple effect. So what I have started to do myself, when I ask, when there's somebody new who comes into my organization, if I ever have to delegate something to them, I'll say, I need your help with this. Help me understand what I'm asking you to say no to in order to say yes to this. And they tell me. And sometimes I say, that's actually the correct move. Table that one. Let's focus on this. Or I say, you know what? This isn't as important. Do what you were going to do. I just need this by Thursday. Prioritize accordingly. And and back to the calendar, right? A great tactic is, again, it's the one thing, but a lot of people have several one things, right? And they might have, uh, it's just that it rolls up into one. So let's say you have three core 
areas for the year. I don't know. It's it's quality family time, meeting the sales objective, and something else. You could color code everything in your calendar that aligns to one of those three things, and you would have a visual depiction of what percentage of your week was being spent in those areas. That's how I can tell you that 80% plus of my week is that way because it is color-coded. Yeah. (laughs) It is color-coded because we did an audit and I wanted to be able to quickly see going into a week, was I actually set up to invest my time or was I being set up to spend it? And so if it's green or yellow, I know it's a 20%. Green means money, yellow means 20% priority. So green means actual money and yellow means it should lead to money. Is that sort of how you look at it? Green is I am doing lead generation or closing. I am doing business development activities that legitimately drive dollars. Got it. Yellow is this is a 20% priority that drives 80% of my results. Got it. Got it. And and blue is the third color? Blue is the default color that is from the calendar, which anything else is blue. How do you then intersect your professional priorities with your personal priorities. So that's where we're getting, I'm trying to keep it high level. Yeah. Over time, we've evolved it and started to add more colors. Purple is is personal, okay. like lunch every day. That's blocked off. If my team asks for my time, my assistant knows to protect it because I'm going to have lunch with my wife. I don't work past 5 p.m. So th- those things show up on the calendar. If I'm doing something with my kids, it's on the calendar. It's purple. I don't violate that stuff. Got it. That is that your calendar is your priorities. So I'm curious, what, when was a time in your life, I mean, beyond, or maybe even after you started even working on this one thing, when you realized that you were focused on the wrong things and how did you make that adjustment? <laughs> so here, here's the thing I'm going to say, even though I am a face of the brand, I am very much on my own path of mastery. Mastery is not a destination you arrive at. It's a journey you go down. I will never be perfect at living this. And I never have had a day where I was perfect at living this. So I share this with you because you're probably looking at a gap from where you are versus where you think you ought to be. There is no arrival. There's just continuous improvement. Early this year, I brought on an executive to take over running the company to free me up to fully be in my 20%. So I can tell you my core three things and say 80% of my time is invested in that because I have built a team to take everything else off my plate. Jeff, his name's Jeff too. We had a leadership meeting in Austin and he, he facilitated an exercise where he had the team start to document everything that we do on whiteboards. And when the exercise was done, it took about an hour, we all stood on the other side of the room, looked at the whiteboards and he said, what are your thoughts? Our aha was, even though our company is about one thing, we were doing everything. <laughs> that was literally less than six months ago. Because we started doing one thing. It was successful. Then we started doing another thing. It, when it works. Then we, when it, right. Yeah, success yeah. is actually the worst than failure because that, then you're more likely to replicate it. Right? Correct. So we kept adding things on over time without flying up to 100,000 feet and having a holistic view. And that's what Jeff was doing. That got us to where we are today and our focus was being divided. And so we asked the question, what is number one? If we can only do one thing, what is it? And it's, it's B2B. It's serving the company, helping companies bring these principles and simple systems into their culture. So people move from being busy to being productive. 
everything else is everything else. So we got clear on what are the things that we just need to hold the line on that we're going to keep doing because it's part of the bigger picture, Yeah. but we're not going to invest in it right now. We're just going to hold the line. And what are we going to stop doing so that we can invest in corporate? And was part of your, was it a conscious thing that if you get this right in corporate, people are like to likely to bring it into their personal lives. If they master in their personal lives, they won't have the authority to probably bring it into their organization. And the reason we did that, we started as an online training company for individuals. We've got yeah. thousands of people in a continuity program. We facilitate an event that has thousands of people every single year. Like we're doing a great job on the individual side. The number one challenge is their company is not set up to support it. So if we focus on the organization, not only do we remove that friction that makes it easy for the individual to live it, but it also happens to drive revenue a lot better too. And again, easier to get large corporate clients than individuals, you know, one at a time. Well, I this was another thing. I, I cast a vision for where we needed to be in the next five years in terms of revenue. And then I looked at our various... How you had to get there. Right? How to get there. And realized it was going to take 83,000 individual customers or 250 corporate customers. If you can only choose one path, what's the one that makes achieving the goal easier or unnecessary? Yeah. It's, it's easier said than done as you prove it. Now, yeah. I, I'm curious, since you always have these one things and you host a podcast, um, so it's always everyone has a list. Who's the one thing? Who's the one, if you could have one guest uh, in 2022, would be? <sighs> aspirational. Well, here's what's interesting about our show. It's not about getting the big names. It's about telling the stories of people who have lived it yeah. and achieved extraordinary. One of the first things that my partner, Gary Keller said to me is, um, welcome to Austin. Good luck. You're going to need it. And I said, hi, thanks. Why? And he said, because um, you're going to want to make me your product. You're going to want to put me on stage. You're going to want to get me on camera. You're going to want to get me on the podcast. That's never going to happen. Violates my one thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. He said, the best part about your job is it's your job. And if you try to give me your job, you no longer have one. Yeah. Those were the first words he ever said to me. Nice to meet you. Um, I did get him on a podcast five years in. Literally took five years. Five years to get. <laughs> it literally took being in business with him for five years before we yeah. did a single interview. He has an amazing ability to share profoundly big ideas in such simple ways. So if I could only pick one person to have a conversation with next year, it'd be him just because it's that impactful. Good answer. All right. Last question for you. What's a, this could be singular or repeated, um, but what's a personal or professional mistake you've made you learn the most from? <sighs> Every year we facilitate a couple's goal setting retreat. So we take proven models for how you set, cast a vision and align yeah. your goals and actions of an organization and apply it to personal relationships. Biggest mistake I made, I'm the face of the brand. We've got to live this at the highest level. But my wife, Amy, is not a goal setter. And I made it. She has to do this. And not only do we have to do our goal setting retreat, we have to do everything. We're going to set 20-year goals. We're going to set five-year goals. We're going to set one-year goals. We're going to create our own business plans. We're going to have weekly I'm accountability like meetings, right? The mistake I made is forcing people to meet me where I was at. Yeah. But the thing that great leaders do is they more often meet people where they are at versus where you think they ought to be. And what it took me five years to learn was to not hold my wife to the standard that I hold myself to, to allow her to go on her own journey. 
because she doesn't have to do the whole system. Last year, she just identified what her core values were. It was truly a life-changing experience for her. She only did one thing out of this comprehensive system. And so that that's the mistake I've made is forcing the system, the entire system on people versus meeting them where they're at and saying, what's the first domino? And can we just knock that down? You know, and we didn't talk about that, but I think that's a big part of the priorities in terms of like, not just looking at this pile of stuff you have, but going back and the values. I, I think if most people can figure out for me, and I ended up building a course out of it because I we had trained everyone in our company and I just felt so strongly about it. But yeah. if you can list your top personal core values and put them on your desk and, and say, these are, I should be doing things that align with this and I should be getting away from things that don't, uh, it is the ultimate one thing and your life will change in dramatic ways. Here's why. Every single one of us knows what it feels like to make a, gr- a decision that lit us up. Yeah. And every one of us knows what it feels like to make a decision that sucked the life out of us. Yeah. You have a top three core values, whether you're consciously aware of them or not, you have them. And you are every day you make decisions. If they're in alignment with your values, you're charged. If they're out of alignment, you are drained. The moment you understand what your values are, they become a compass for making better decisions. That's for you personally for your significant other, knowing how to interact with them better. I have an org chart where I have the title, the name of the person occupying that spot and that person's top three core values. So I know how to interact with them as a leader. Game changer. Yeah. It's who you are. I would say it's equivalent to like a car in a tunnel, a really nice car in a dark tunnel. And you can hit a wall and scrape it and be like, oh, bounce off and hit the other wall. But if, if you turn on the light and the lanes are painted, you're going to get through the tunnel much more efficiently. I think I think most of us actually only, like you said, you have core values. We can't articulate them, but we know when they're violated. We know when we're in that, this job doesn't feel right. This person doesn't feel right. This decision doesn't feel right. We just, we don't, know the why to avoid it <laughs> next time. We don't have the we don't have the vocabulary to act on it. Absolutely true. All right. Well Jeff, how can people learn more about you and the one thing and where should they go for all all one sure. things? You're already listening to a podcast. So I would just search for the one thing and you can subscribe to the show every week. We have an episode telling the story of how somebody is achieving extraordinary things by focusing on fewer things. Our website is the one thing.com and that's with the number one, the number one thing.com. Majority of our time is invested in helping companies start to live this. So we're happy to engage with any one of you if you'd like to have a conversation. And if you want to look me up, just Google Jeff Woods, G-E-O-F-F Woods. I rank at the top. You can find my LinkedIn and message me there. He is the he is the Jeff Woods on the interwebs. I, I think I may be the most popular Geoff 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 Woods. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, to our listeners, thanks for tuning into the Elevate Podcast today. We'll include links to Jeff uh, and his work on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. 
On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.